This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football, the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to CelebrityQB.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest in sports news, fantasy analysis, and opinions. Don't forget the hot takes. Can't have a sports show without hot takes these days. What about hot cakes, though? Mm, I want some hot cakes. Now, here's your host, ready to jump into the thick of things, Dwayne Callender. Welcome to the show, everybody. Got an interesting collection of thoughts here. Because normally I would go into the fantasy impact of certain things. So I'm gonna, I'm still going to do that, but I'm, I'm going to have to table that one uh, for later on. Because a couple of things I need to talk about. Uh, you know, first, you know, we've got the Ohio State situation. Because ideally, I wanted to go into college football being back on Yahoo for a full fantasy game and doing college football rankings. But... You know, this Ohio State story is not going away. Plus, you got the issues with baseball and guys, you know, not being able to manage social media at all. Uh, You know, the fact that you've got now it's up to three players. I'm sure it's more. But, you know, hopefully guys are starting to take the hint that, you know what, you probably shouldn't say certain things on social media. And if you did do dumb stuff when you were young, you should probably clean it up and make sure that people don't have breadcrumbs to find. As Trey Turner and Sean Newcomb found out, because I don't know how they couldn't have realized that they were at risk for it, uh, considering what Josh Hader just went through uh, at the All-Star game. But be that as it may, uh, you know, you, you got that situation going on. So I'll talk about uh, those items. But uh, first, I, I kind of wanted to go into... Uh, the basketball tournament that's been going on ESPN that concludes tonight uh, here on uh, Friday night. You know, it's been an interesting experiment. I did an interview uh, uh, earlier this week with my dad uh, just going over the games. But, you know, the thing that I picked up on this uh, more than anything else is the fact that basketball needs to kind of start updating some of its rules because I would say that what the basketball tournament did kind of introduce is the fact that the Elam ending which is essentially 
where you take away overtime and just once the game hits four uh, minutes and under in the fourth quarter, you turn off uh, the game clock. You still have a shot clock, but you turn off the game clock and you just add seven points to the team in the lead. Now, the reasoning behind this was uh, the fact that the data proved over several hundred games over the last decade across the college and the pros that games were just devolving into just foul fest, mainly because, A, guys don't shoot free throws as well anymore. B, teams got the notion that because guys don't shoot free throws well anymore, that just consistently fouling the crappy foul shooters would allow for them to get back into games. A couple of things happened. The hack-a-shack rule was modified in the NBA uh, to essentially prevent that so that you can only do it up uh, up to the final two minutes uh, of each quarter. Uh, so that's how teams got around it. In the second and fourth quarters, you can't do the hack-a-shack uh, once you get inside of two minutes. Teams uh, basically started rotating it guys in and out. Uh, college basketball came up with the intentional foul rule, but it didn't solve the overall problem because you could still have fouls that occur that don't look intentional. And so what the ELM ending basically does is kind of forces teams to kind of go back to the basics, playing defense, getting stops, and actually uh, playing fundamental defense. What it also does, in my opinion, from just looking at the game's of the basketball tournament is the simple fact that teams don't run offense effectively when they're up uh, in late game situations. I've seen way too many possessions where guys just end up playing hero ball, jacking up a three when they don't need to because of the fact that they're trying to wind down the shot clock and coaches are actively telling them, use the clock to your advantage. But what's been happening is that guys are running down the shot clock, but then not running effective offense. So, Uh, what you end up having is a case where these teams are not doing what they need to be doing. It's, it's just wasted possessions because of the fact that their uh, primary focus is to run down the clock instead of actually running effective offense. So I think what the Elam ending has done in a way is to allow for teams to actually think about uh, what they're doing on a daily basis. Now, there was quite a bit of hand-wringing in some circles. Uh, guys writing articles about how uh, this is a foolish rule. It's going to screw up the college game. I think college basketball needs it more than ever. Uh, college basketball, uh, by and large, you know, folks get caught up with the love affair with the buzzer beater. But the truth of the matter is, is that the buzzer beater doesn't really happen uh, all that often. It's just a case where... Uh, you know, you've got uh, guys uh, essentially jacking up shots, but realistically, the comeback ratio for some of these teams uh, ends up being less than uh, 4% with the constant fouling that goes on. It, you know, realistically, uh, you have to kind of put this in a, a situation where teams need to start learning fundamental defense, and I think. Uh, the Elam ending forces uh, guys to kind of go into that mindset. So that's where I kind of stood on it. I've been enjoying the basketball tournament for the most part. Uh, Overseas Elite uh, is going to be playing Everline Drive. Uh, you know, they've 
they basically have dominated the basketball tournament uh, for a number of years now, uh, basically being a collection of uh, over, uh, overseas players. Now, uh, in terms of what's the difference between the basketball tournament and the Big Three, Big Three focuses more on former NBA basketball players, so uh, no, more recognizable players. Uh, the basketball tournament tends to deal with the guys who didn't make the NBA uh, but have been bouncing around in terms of the international circuit. Uh, so you would get younger guys in the basketball tournament than you would in uh, the Big Three. Uh, but uh, by and large, it's still a, a collection of uh, uh, different outfits uh, overall. So right now we've got the Yankees and Red Sox playing a four-game set. The uh, Yankees got blown out in the first game. You know, I look at this series, people are saying that this is the last time for the Yankees in the AL East. My opinion was that the Yankees were already out of the AL East uh, race. You know, by and large, unless they had swept Boston in Boston, uh, Boston's winning too many games at a high clip. Uh, at the end of the day, Boston has a well-rounded team. Yankees don't have the starting pitching, and there wasn't starting pitching available in the marketplace. Uh, outside of Jay Happ, he was the best option. You know, that's just a simple fact of the matter. But J-Hap's not going to move the needle enough uh, where you're going up against the likes of Justin Verlander on uh, the Astros or Chris Sale. And for the folks that keep pounding at the table saying that the Yankees need to make a major trade, they're not going to give up positional players that have value under contract for multiple years to actually uh, trade for a pitcher whom they're then going to have to pay out an exorbitant amount of money with the likes of Bumgarner or Jacob DeGrom, it doesn't make sense that both have uh, wear on the arm. You know, they could take those guys up in free agency and wait it out. You know, this, again, folks are looking at the Yankees as a win-now ball club. The Yankees are not doing that approach. You know, it's if this was under George Steinbrenner, yeah, they, they would have definitely... Uh, made a reach on a trade with somebody uh, and giving up a bunch of prospects. Uh, Chris Archer probably would be in pinstripes. But that's just not the approach that House uh, Steinbrenner wants to go with. So he allows Cashman uh, to do these budget deals because the Yankees, at the end of the day, you know, they will market hitters. They're not necessarily going to overpay for a number two starter. Because that's what the Sonny Gray trade was supposed to be. Sonny Gray was supposed to come in and be a number two starter. It just has not worked out at all. Uh, Sonny Gray has completely regressed, uh, lost his confidence, now is relegated to the bullpen while Lance Lynn uh, takes his spot. Lance Lynn is a bullpen player, uh, but, uh, you know, what uh, is going on essentially is a case where you've got the rotation out of out of whack because Severino's in, in a bit of a uh, weird place as well where he can't get his uh, best stuff over and he's over and he's over uh, over pitching it in a way and you know the less said about Tanaka the better because I, I continue to refrain that Tanaka can be lights out or he can get drummed out of building it doesn't matter who the opponent is that's just who he is he's either on or he's off that's all there is to it, and there's no consistency one way or another, which makes it very hard to rely on him as a number two starter. So, with that being said, uh, 
I look at this series as a case where the Yankees can do more harm than good if Aaron Boone struggles with making decisions and blows a game it's just going to bring up the refrain that he's not ready to be a manager he's basically here at the behest of Brian Cashman because no other manager would allow a GM to dictate how uh, the day-to-day operations of the club would go uh, for but you know again the Yankees can do well in this series they can play well the remainder of the series but I just think that they can do a lot more harm than good coming out of this series than anything else but we'll see how it goes so uh, I'll get uh, the interview uh, with my dad queued up uh, just because we talked about a number of items plus we got to cover the MVP race in baseball for the AL I think that this is a clear case for Mookie Betts I think he's going to show it again this series just how valuable he is Uh, JD Martinez certainly can make a case for himself as well Uh, he Believe me, I, I've seen the fantasy production from both guys. I mean, they are top ten guys without question. Uh, you know, the biggest issue, it's not even Mike Trout at this point because the Angels falling out of it uh, by the day. Uh, I think the Angels just reached, uh, hit 500 again and just maybe wait, uh, went a game below 500, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just now. But, uh, you know, I just look at the Angels team. Uh, Trout would have to have a monster close out of the season because the separation between him and Betts, Betts is beating him in certain categories. So to me, Betts has got to be the guy, unless you're going to make the argument that J.D. Martinez can split the vote and cause uh, uh, a case where Trout could still end up winning it. But I I think Jose Ramirez is more deserving of it than Trout as well, given his production. So, uh, again, uh, the AL MVP race is uh, – still up for grabs, but I definitely think the leader in the clubhouse has got to be Mookie Betts, uh, just with how he's performed. So, anyway, uh, without further ado, I'm going to queue up the interview with my dad, uh, and uh, I'm going to get into uh, some of a couple of bits for Fantasy Premier League. Uh, Also, I'm going to give some advice uh, at the end of this uh, podcast on uh, different things to keep in mind for fantasy football drafts uh, uh, you know just so you you understand the do's and don'ts of uh, what you should and shouldn't do so anyway uh, enjoy the rest of the show and uh, I'll be back hey throwdown nation are you at the bottom of your fantasy league wondering what is going on with your quarterback well I think I've got a new show that may just fit the bill for you the show is called celebrity QB featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach Charlie Weiss Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks to get your burning questions answered, such as, is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Can Aaron Rodgers actually play a full season on one healthy leg? And can Dak Prescott actually lead the Cowboys to a Super Bowl in spite of Jerry Jones? Coach Weiss and co-host Steve Stroud have got you covered on all things quarterbacks. Listen now on Apple Podcasts or any major media platform. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. Hey, Kelly. Yeah, so in terms of the uh, the MVP race, uh, you know, I, I keep, see, uh, keep seeing people say that, you know, uh, Beth is making a strong case for himself, but, you know, uh, Trout's still in the lead. And I'm saying to myself, I, I want to know how these folks are calculating the MVP race because last time I checked, you know, Betts is leading in batting average. 
home runs and steals are pretty comparable in terms of the players, but Betts is on the first place team, and Trout's not making the playoffs this year. So I, I don't even know how this is a, a conversation. <laughs> Look, let me tell you something. And I like Trout, but it's like, you know, let's be real for ourselves here. Well, well, I, I'm, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna put it this way. This year, LeBron James had better numbers, but than James Harden. But what Harden did was put up high numbers on a team that that was a first place team right through the season. Yes. And that's basically how we got the MVP. Okay. Now. You turn it to 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 to, to this thing. Bets have better numbers in some categories, and even numbers in some. And his team could go wire to wire. They could go wire to wire because they started in the league. They started strong, and he was the guy. He he's been the guy right through the season. There's nobody else that you could call on the Red Sox. That is as red hot as Mookie Betts. Okay, so how you how you telling me that you know that that, that he doesn't win the MVP? You know, because if 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 if, if you if you suddenly doing it like that, then Judge could have won it last year because the Yankees came on strong, but Altuve. Right through the year, on a team that stayed up there right through, I I would have voted for Altuve because every time you hear them win, it's a double, it, it's a home run, it's a triple, it's 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 always it, it was one thing, it was Altuve. Yeah, no, it, right through. And and it's one of those it's one of those things. I I've long said Altuve was the most underrated player for about three years running until last year when people finally started to notice. But it was because Houston was uh, was uh, winning games that they finally noticed. Well, that's what I'm saying. So if, you, if you're if telling me that's what you want, then, then to me, I don't know what they're talking about because I keep seeing every time I, I see those uh, the tweets that, that show they still leading and thing, and I don't understand it. You play under no pressure at all. I'm playing in the division where the Yankees are running my ass to ground, and I keep hitting. Yeah. So I, I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. You have, you have a guy on a team that's not making the playoffs. And it, 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 and this is, and again, this is not bashing on Mike Trout. This is bashing on the actual voting process. I'm not talking about it. Yeah, because of my, my, my issue, my issue with it is the voting process. It doesn't make sense because, again, the war on Trout and Betts, they're they're both incredibly high. But if we're being realistic with ourselves, their numbers are, you can split hairs on it. Uh, Like, you can make a case for one guy, but it's like, realistically, they're about even. But one guy's on the first place team and one guy's on the sixth best team in the AL. That's that's I mean, it's, it's called most valuable player, not... <laughs> because the guy whose team is in the playoffs or in the playoff hunt is under more pressure because the other team is right behind him. 
Yeah, you understand? And look, what you gotta remember, the Yankees are 35 games over 500, and they're behind by five games. You gotta be kidding me. This, this is not, this, we're talking historic numbers here now. So, so, you can't tell me what Trout is doing is gonna compare to what Vets is doing because he has to go over and above because there's a team behind him that's lapping what the team behind Trout is doing. If you understand what I mean. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I totally get it, but it's like... The, the, the it, it, Red Sox have their foot full on the gas and they can't take it off because the Yankees are going to roll over them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm as we're talking here, I'm, I'm watching uh, this basketball tournament. Uh, uh, well, they call it the basketball tournament on ESPN, and uh, uh, there, there. This is the perfect example. It's the Elam rule. So basically, one team, uh, uh, this, uh, this team challenge ALS is ahead of Sons of Westwood. So they're, they're up uh, 79-78, and it, once they hit the four minute mark, uh, you add seven points. Uh, to uh, to uh, the uh, team in the lead, Channel ALS. So uh, the first team, the 86, wins the game outright, and you shut off the shot clock. Already, I'm seeing more movement on the court itself rather than being uh, held hostage to the shot clock, trying to run the clock down try, uh, and putting up a terrible shot. It's forcing these teams to actually have to guard people and get in the lanes. It's like it, there's there's way too much in end game scenarios for basketball, where teams are getting lazy on the defensive end because the offense is making it easy for them by not moving the ball. They just hold the ball to use up to use up 15 to 18 seconds on the shot clock, and then the final uh, uh, seven or eight seconds they jack up a terrible shot. But but that's one of the problems I used. I just always have with teams. And I always want to know if you can count. Because if I'm up by 10, right? If I'm up by 10, and I go down the court, and I score two, okay? When you come back up, you gotta score either two or three. Because you know when I go back down again, I'm gonna score another two. Yeah, but what happens with some teams, they go on the court, they 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 waste the shot clock and then put up a three so that the team could get a long rebound, go back down, score three, then I come back down, waste another shot clock, put up another bad three again, and same thing, the team goes the other way. But but that's that's so so uh, so basically, like the whole uh, because I, I uh, like I, I talked about this earlier, uh, but it, it's because of the fact that there's so many lame takes on this aspect. But the guy who came up with this has a thesis, and he researched all uh, like he researched over 500 basketball games between the college and the pros. And the truth of the matter is, and it's what I mean, honestly, Pop, between the two of us. Uh, you know, I know you've fallen off of watching basketball because you hate the end product. I still watch the game, so I'm still watching over 150 to 200 basketball games a year. 
But the you know the the biggest issue I see with these games is the fact that the end game scenario turns into an absolute nightmare because there's too many games where teams are just running down the shot clock, too many games where teams are just intentionally fouling because they don't know how to play defense, so they're just hoping you miss a free throw so they can trade back a three-pointer on the other end, and somehow they're like, oh, well, this logic works. But when they did the math, realistically, that that whole endgame scenario only has a 2% success rate. And some people are like, oh. Well, that's the thing. Some people are like, well, you can't change the integrity of the game by changing to this rule. And it's like, it's bad basketball. It, it's not about the wins or losses. This, the spirit of the game was not meant to go down to this level. The whole reason why they introduced the shot clock in the first place was because teams were getting tired of the four-corner strategy. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they, they, they couldn't defend against the four corners effectively enough, so they changed the rule to have a shot clock. Now, because fundamentals have gotten so bad on the offensive and defensive end, the shot clock's actually becoming a hindrance to these teams because, A, these teams are not running effective offenses in late-game scenarios. They're just trying to run down the clock, which is not what you're supposed to be doing. You still should be going for optimal shot selection. But now uh, teams have been uh, taught that, oh, no, you got to hold on to the ball and just run down the clock and then put up a shot, which is the wrong strategy because more often than not, to your point, you put up a bad shot and you give up a long rebound, and now you're uh, now you're scrambling to get into transition defense. Yeah. I, I, I'll give you another. I'll give you another one. While you're talking about defense, one of the ways that teams used to that even though they had a foul, they they, they, they have a foul to get. What you used to try to do first is play good defense and see if you can get, get the steal. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they're, in they're, order to do that, you had to play good defense. So you used to force teams to find ways to pass that ball over people. You know, Indiana was great at that. Bobby Knight, two things Bobby Knight hated, that, that intentional fouling and, 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 and three-point shot. Oh, yeah, they, 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 so I mean, not Knight... You know, you know, Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight is one of is many things. But one of the things you can say is he he's, he was a visionary. He saw the deterioration of the game happening because he, he, he because he he, he he railed against three point shot. And I keep hearing everyone say, "Well, the valuation of the three point shot, you don't get it." But what what I keep saying to folks is, the three point shot. Yes, valuation wise. You can make a case where if you surround yourself with enough great three-point shooters like Golden State, yeah, technically you can make it work. But I've seen other cases where you can try to change guys into three-point shooters. They're still not good enough three-point shooters to justify your offense, and that's why you have so many crappy uh, basketball teams in the NBA because they're all trying to copy a model, and there are not enough players that can act, actually execute that model. Let, let, let me just show you something. All you got to remember is that when there were no three-point shots in the in the NBA, there was better shooters that, than you have now that there's a three-point shot. And you know why there was better shooters? Because you used to make use of your shot. You learned to shoot. Yeah. Not just chuck the ball up. No, I mean, I, 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 I was telling a guy the other day, 
you remember the days when we used to go in the garden and when a guy put up those air ball wheels? Air ball or brick, brick, we used to shout, brick, brick, shit. You wear your voice out now doing that because they put up more of that than anything else. Yeah, it, the, the, there, yeah there's yeah. still a ton of George, inefficiency. George Gilbert said a thing once, and I laughed because it made so much sense. And he said, like, he said, wait a minute. A guy is getting trouble to shoot a three-point, a two-point a two shot. So what he does, he steps back out a little further to get a three-point shot. He said, you know, if you're going at two steps closer, they still give you two for that. <laughs> you know, and it's true. You can't hit from two-point range, but you can shoot from three-point range. You really think I want to have some of these players that I see chucking up. Who could chuck up more three-pointers than, than um, Mr. I don't know what the score was. Um, uh, J.R. Smith. J.R. Uh, Smith. These guys can't even shoot two-pointers and chucking up threes. Huh? Well, what, what I find amusing, but you know what I found amusing is that when they were doing the analysis uh, of uh, certain teams, now they were saying last year the Spurs uh, uh, were the, they called the Spurs the least efficient team because of the amount of mid-range shots that they took. So they were saying that they were one of the most inefficient offenses in the league, yet despite the fact that they didn't have one of the top five players in the league for pretty much the entire uh, of the season, and playing in the Western Conference, the harder conference, they still managed to make the playoffs. I still made the playoffs. While running an inefficient offense, according to the analytics. You know, what I laughed about it is the fact that they actually went to the case of saying, oh, they're inefficient because they take too many mid-range shots. Maybe because of the fact that Popovich realized that he doesn't have enough three-point shooters on the squad that, hey, if we keep chucking up three-point shots, we're not going to win that many games. So let's actually shoot from the range that these guys are actually good at. You, do you know how a guy becomes a three-point shooter now? Not because he can make shots, but because he takes three-pointers. Yeah, it's like there are so many guys that just keep shooting three-pointers. They're like, oh yeah, he's got three-point range. So you you mean because you can actually shoot from three-point range? That's what you mean by three-point range because it's it's like now people are like raving about a guy being able to shoot thirty-seven percent from three. It used to be that you needed to shoot from 40, 40 and above to be able to take a ton of three-pointers. Now they'll just settle for mid-thirties. <laughs> it's because of the coaches. Look, look, let me tell you something. You think that you shoot in 37%, you take in three pointers as you be wrong, Steve? Say what you want about you, but there's no way you taking that. There's no way you taking that three point shot if that's how you, sh that's your percentage. Because he's considered as a wasted possession. You gotta be kidding me. You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, like I said, the guys are three-point shooters now because they take three-pointers, not because they make them. It's because they shoot a lot of three-pointers. Jasmine is not a three-point shooter. What? One night you get good and, 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 and you know, please. He, he, he's, a, he's what they call a streaky shooter, Callie. 
Yeah. Anyway, before I let you go, uh, before I let you go, I, I, w I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, the latest Twitter feud between Kevin Durant and C.J. McCollum. <laughs> I, you know, I I didn't read much about it. I saw when it started. I I I didn't I didn't understand because I think the whole some of these things I find is childish. Well, what I, what what I, what I found what I found comical about it is the fact that you know C.J. McCollum made a, a legitimate point, and you know. Because Boogie Cousins on the Portland Trailblazers would have actually made a, a decent pickup because that would have actually given him some more size on the interior and because of his rebounding ability would actually help mask some of the deficiencies because, again, the, the Trailblazers are one of the biggest culprits, in my opinion, of not being that efficient on offense because I think between Lillard and CJ, they both shoot too much. One of them has to shoot less in order to get those other guys uh, more involved in the offense come postseason time. You guys can shoot all you want in the regular season because certain teams aren't playing hard, that hard of a defense. But once it comes postseason time, you guys got to dial it back and allow some of the other guys to get some points because, you know, it. you can't be – the two of you can't score for 50 points combined yeah, every single yeah, playoff basketball game. Basketball is not one-man basketball or two-man basketball. That's – that's what people are. You watch Golden State and watch the distribution of points over the the, the, the playoffs, and you're gonna see something. Yeah, I'm not saying that Durant might get a 30 something in a couple of games or whatever, but there's no follow-up that the next guy only got 12 points and all of that. Never. You gotta have that even flow. Because like one guy, one guy's that was, what that, that was the problem in that game one with LeBron. He scored fifty something, but the 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 other guys didn't keep up their side of the bargain. Yeah, and that's why that game was like that. Yeah, but uh, I, but that's why I don't understand Kevin Durant because you know if if you're telling the guy you're laughing at his chances of actually winning an NBA title. I'm not sure how you don't you don't expect to get some blowback from that because realistically Boogie Cousins isn't going to really move the needle for Golden State all that much. Yes, it makes that lineup pretty much indefensible come postseason in, in certain possessions because I'm not sure what you're going to do. But to say that uh, you know Portland doesn't have a right to be pissed off, it's one of the dumbest things you could say because my thing is you know. What McCollum said was, you know, Boogie just joining them, it, it's just like it, it's just like a hanger-on kind of ring. It's like, you know, y y they really didn't need you, but you just wanted to tag along for the ring. So that's why he said he was annoyed. That's why he he got on Durant because, he th because of Durant's decision. Now, the issue with Durant is the fact that, you know, every time someone brings his name up, he still gets so defensive about his decision to join Golden State. Look, let me tell you something. And I like Kevin Durant. And he has played well for Golden State and whatever. But, it doesn't matter. I, I may not bring it back up again, but I still have it in my, my mind that 
he chickened out because I don't blame him for leaving there with Westbrook. If he thought that, you know, it's not working out and this guy is selfish or whatever, whatever, whatever. There is places that he could have gone. You don't go. Hey. Well, that was the thing. I always said that he could have, he could have always, he could have always made it to Houston. There's no way that the, the two, the two values, you know, it doesn't mesh. You know, he might have a good point or two, but no, 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 it, it, it doesn't mesh. It, it, it's crazy. Yeah, because my thing with uh, Durant is like the amount of other places he could have gone. To make it a legitimate title contender, is like he could have gone. He said he could. He, I mean, there were so many places out west. He easily could have taken him over the top and been uh, become a favorite right alongside Golden State and the Cavs. That when he just went to the Warriors, it was just like everyone's like, seriously, <laughs> that's that's the biggest thing. Look, let me let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There are certain things that you're gonna do in life where you know when 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 Martin Luther King started making the stance that he made, he knew what was gonna happen. He knew that he was gonna get spit on. He knew he was gonna get put in jail. He know he knew this. He didn't complain when it happened because he knew what's coming. You can have your cake and eat it too. If you do that and then look like you're complaining because people shout at you, then I say you're not ready. My thing with Durant is go there, play, collect your rings, and shut up. Yeah, he, he, he constantly... Like you for doing that. He constantly... He constantly feels the need to combat people on this. And my point is, they have a legitimate point. Hey. Like he he, he he keep he keep he keeps it in his head. He thinks his decision shouldn't be able to be questioned, and, and so he he can't get over the fact that people still keep questioning him on it. And it's just like ask, it's. And I would ask you again, why? Because Le- you do <laughs> that you think should be so agreeable to people. Because his thing is, it why how come LeBron? Doesn't get any more criticism about Miami, and guess what? LeBron got his criticism about while he was on the Heat uh, uh, and joining up with Wade. He is wait, 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 wait. Here's the difference. He always does that, and it's apples to orange. Yeah. Did Miami? Did Miami beat Cleveland? Was Miami dominating Cleveland? Huh? I mean, did, did, what I mean? Was, was Miami Cleveland our rival? I mean, that, 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 but that's the that's the thing. It's like the the issue was. It's not like Miami was. Uh, Miami won the year before, and they, they 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 almost won another year, and 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 then you 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 LeBron went and joined them. My Miami was. Kept yeah, but it, but but that was my thing. That, that that's the point I always make. It's not as though when LeBron went to Miami. Yeah, everyone hated the idea that he formed a super team. 
but it's not as right. though it's not as though the super team he went to form wasn't the overwhelming favorite to win the finals the prior year came up short because of their own foolishness because they kind of gave away the series but yet still were the overwhelming favorites to win the NBA title before I joined the squad that's the issue with Durant they set the record they the, the, the before the record. before Durant joined the Warriors were still the overwhelming Vegas favorite to win the NBA title that's why everyone <laughs> Because everyone was glad if uh, Miami lost that year. Don't forget the next year they were on the ropes against Boston. In yeah. I, I I still I still think that might be might have been the only time in my life that I was not. Uh, I, I could actually consider myself more pulling for Boston than anything else because no one no one no one could stand Boston. But, I was doing it myself. Because like. Because even because because even when it's Boston, LA, you know, I'm I'm still not gonna feel sorry for Boston if they lose to LA. But that series against the they had against the Heat, everyone was still kind of pulling for Boston because in your heart you still didn't want that team, even though they lost in the finals the year uh, to the Mavericks, you still didn't want LeBron to kind of get his way. <laughs> Because you were in no. your head, you were still no, saying. Yeah. So this one thing with Durant and LeBron rose to the occasion, won that series, you know, and 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 came back and 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 won people over. I mean, you gotta remember the first three years of that 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 heat LeBron was like a pariah, you know. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I mean, the amount, the amount of... The, 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 the amount of booze that LeBron... He was trying to do too much. I mean, he was... A, I mean, just so... You kind of play your way out of that. 
Yeah, no, the, like, the, ima the amount of grief. The amount of grief between the articles, like, if you pulled them up on the... Because then it was like, oh, well, you know, how how is LeBron and Wade's friendship going to hold up? Because LeBron is now trying to take over Wade's team. Uh, this and it, it's like it, there was a lot going on uh, in that time period. But but you but you but the, but, the, but the issue was the issue was like yeah the, I mean the issue was you always heard about it from the outside. You never really heard comments from LeBron uh, like in, in uh, like uh, uh, adding fuel to the fire, and that's what Durant like fails to comprehend. He's constantly trying to fight back at people for. Uh, uh, some of the comments he's made himself. And that's why it's he just wants, like... <laughs> he wants it to go away faster than it's, go, than it's gonna go. And what he doesn't realize, the more he pushes, it's the more time it's gonna take to, to go away. Yeah. Because he he, he, he he lifted his game and he played some big games, you know, but he's he's gonna he's gonna have to take it easy. You yeah. know, he he wants more praise than he's gonna get in a while. Yeah. So it's gonna still say he's only winning because I mean, forget yeah. forget yeah. Oklahoma. They're gonna say that all the time. Yeah. And, and my, my and my, my my thing is, you know, uh, with Durant, you know you know why he, he he's constantly complaining about uh, everyone calling him crazy is the fact that between he and Des Bryant, the amount of people they keep calling snakes, it's like in your head you're automatically assuming that someone's trying to stab you in the back. That's his mindset. It's like he's going with conspiracy theories and not actual reality. It's the low self esteem thing. Uh, because I didn't look, you talked about with, with Des. There was no reason for Dallas to keep you on if you don't want to take that pay cut. Your production is down. My production's now, my production's down because you won't give me the ball. <laughs> I mean, but that's that's how tone that's how tone death. your guy one on one. But 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 that's what that's what I'm saying. It's like with some of these guys. They are so tone deaf that they don't see when people are trying to help them because, you know, Dallas screws up a lot of things. The Des Bryant situation isn't one of them, in my opinion, because as, as the more, like, Des is carrying on, you see that, you know what? Dallas was putting up with a lot with Des. A lot. But the kind of shit... But the kind of shit that we saw going on on the sidelines in some of those games, I was surprised that he stayed there so long. The way he would get get mad and, and shout at this one and shout at this coach and, uh, 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 you know, uh, I, I'm surprised he stayed there so long. And when 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 Jerry Jones was having that meeting with him, they said most people said. That if Dez went in there and took a pay cut, that he'd be a cowboy. But then you hear that thing from Dez people that he wasn't taking a penny less. And I'm like, is Dez kidding me? Because 
when when the Giants play the Cowboys now, I don't worry about this. Yeah. They hasn't beaten a guy off the spot for the longest while. You know, you are the double team dead anymore. I worry about other people on the Cowboys. You know? As a matter of fact, I'm sorry that the Cowboys didn't keep theirs this year. But with Whitney retiring, please. You just cover everybody one on one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because that other tight end left, um, uh, the Spanish guy. I forget his, uh, oh, damn, I forget his name. And I thought he was a pretty good tight end to compliment to, to Whitney. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had to, I had to laugh because the more I listen to Dez, the more you realize why he can't get signed by anyone. He's still in denial. I don't understand. Um, I'm trying to remember who just offered him a, a, a pretty good contract. He thought, he thought the Ravens were insulting him. Um, who did? It was, it was Ozzie Newsom and the Ravens. Ozzy offered him a contract and he took it as an insult. Well, no, 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 no. It was the Ra- no, no. It, it was Baltimore. Baltimore offered him a three-year deal. I, I, I told him, I said, "Hey, that's a pretty good uh, thing there." And then he just said no. He, he took it as an insult. He thought it was worth more money. All right, Kelly. Yeah, you, you take it easy though. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Have a good one. All right, so I wanted to get into one last bit here, just so you guys had some uh, fancy content here. And that's a couple of uh, overall rules to bear in mind for your fantasy football draft. You know, because more often than that, I see guys make these mistakes, and it drives me up the wall. So I figure I might as well put it out there. I probably will repeat it at some point again before... Uh, drafts occur, but I think it's absolutely imperative that guys uh, pay attention to this because it really and truly you can make the make or break a difference in your fantasy uh, performance this year. So rule number one: know your league scoring rules before the draft. I'm going to repeat this one because this is one of the most important ones. Know your league scoring rules. Too many times I see guys not paying attention to the fact that. You know what position players are available, what the scoring rules are. So again, you, you can have a standard league where you got uh, two wide receivers, two running backs, and a flex position, or you could have a situation where it's just a standard league, so you don't get any points per reception. You can have a half PPR league. You have a full point PPR league uh, for receptions. You could also have bonuses for amount of yards gained. Uh, you could have uh, points for first downs created. You could have points for uh, additional uh, bonuses that uh, get racked up. If you go over a certain yardage, it could turn into a points multiplier. There are so many different funky rules that you could come up with for fantasy football scoring that you better be aware of every aspect of it. Because if you're not, you're going to screw up your draft and you're going to lose. And it's your own fault. Uh, because ideally your league scoring rules like once you're enrolled in the league you can go into this uh, league settings and see the rules break down of how your league's being scored you got to pay attention to this folks if you have a league where it's a 2QB league uh, so it could be clearly labeled as 2QBs 
or it could be a super flex, which is essentially a two QB system because the super flex allows for a second QB to be included. You damn well better make sure you have QBs drafted early and often in that league because while there are uh, benefits to waiting on QBs in a normal draft, uh, you have to be paying attention to uh, the fact that uh, these other uh, formats uh, value QBs a lot more, so you're going to have to draft QBs earlier. So again, know your league scoring rules and format before the draft. Gotta get that done. Second, don't let favoritism play into your decision-making process uh, for your fantasy draft. Yes, you can be a Packers fan. Doesn't mean that you should ignore Jordan Howard uh, on the Bears if you need a running back. Y you got to make decisions that make sense. Just playing favorites and not drafting players that can be benefit need uh, to your uh, position is idiotic. Stop it. Uh, you know, there are guys who try to draft every single player from their team as much as possible. It's like you're giving money away for your draft. Just stop it. You know, yes, you can be a homer. Just don't do it for your fantasy team. And, you know, uh, it's just it's just not a smart decision just to pass on a guy because you can't stand him. Yes, you may not like uh, members of the Cowboys. You may not like Eagles players. Guess what? You're trying to win a fantasy league. Grow up. It's take the guys who can uh, do the most good for you. That's what you need to focus on. Three, stop with the panic trades. Panic trades happen way too often. A, a team starts out 0-2, and they feel like they need to overhaul the entire roster. If there are guys that are hurt or just uh, underperforming, take a, a deep look and see what you, you got to work with in terms of your roster. If you did a reasonable draft, you should have guys you can plug in, uh, plug in but... Trying to do a panic trade where you're uh, gonna be overhauling your roster like less than a month into the season, not worth it. And you know, more often than not, uh, these are the teams that will fall for uh, the three for one player trades where you're giving up the best player in the trade that may be underperforming because you feel like you want to have three players that might give you some more balance. If you did your fantasy draft properly, you wouldn't even be in that position. Number four, don't be the drunkest guy at the draft. I know this, uh, people laugh at it, but more often than not, if your guys are drinking at a live draft, you know what? Just pay attention to like how much you're having versus everyone else because if you're drinking more and the other guys are still drafting, they're probably banking on you not being able to pay attention and making some dumb uh, draft picks at the tail end of the draft. Don't be that guy. Five. Don't give up if your team struggles early in the season. Way too often you got teams that just throw in the towel just because they hit 1-4. Yes, is it difficult to make the playoffs at 1-4? No question. But it's doable if you play your cards right. So I'd say more than not, like teams give up way too often uh, on uh, their rosters when they can actually make some runs uh, uh, based off of uh, some of the scheduling uh, favoring uh, some of their better players if they actually put some effort into it. It's not the end of the world. Number six. Once the season begins, try not to overthink your matchups. 
I mean, yes, you could have a team going up against the Jacksonville defense, and yeah, you might be intimidated. But if they're your best player, you got to roll with them. Now, should you automatically bank on them maximizing their fantasy points? No. You, you, you mitigate the risk. You try to see who else in the lineup can produce for you. But you don't start benching players because you're afraid that they won't be able to do anything against a particular defense uh, or the fact that, uh, you know, it's inclement weather in certain aspects uh, and they're going to be completely in the fetal position otherwise. You know, you can't make those assumptions overall. Uh, you know, that's why I say don't overthink it. If you've got the best player available, sometimes you got to roll with it and uh, take a, let the chips fall where they may. Number seven, unless there are major advantages to special teams based on the scoring system for your league, do not reach for kickers and defense. Please. I see this all too often where someone grabs a defense then three other guys make a run for defense because they think, oh, the top defenses are going off the board. I got to grab a defense now. More often than not, you make more points rotating out your defenses than anything else. Now, this is where the rotational strategy can come into play. So sometimes you can have a defense that isn't great, but if you know they're playing a team like the Browns that perennially struggles, yeah it makes sense to play them. So sometimes rotating out a defense rather than holding on to a top-tier defense, you get more value because you got a better player earlier in the draft because you didn't reach for a defense. So that would be my recommendation uh, because way too often I see defenses go on a run. And then anytime you're drafting a kicker before the final round, you, you screwed up somewhere. Somewhere in your draft you screwed up because you should not be reaching – on kickers yes i like justin tucker as much as the next guy but guess what if he's not there in uh in the last round i'm not killing myself either uh more often than not uh unless you are at the back end of the second to last round then maybe you can consider uh, going with kicker but outside of that there's really no excuse it's like the last two picks uh should be kicker and defense uh or de- uh, defense and kicker, uh, depending on your league format. Unless, uh, of course, you're getting certain bonuses that make special teams more worthwhile. But more often than not, uh, it really isn't worth it. Number eight, do not reach for QB production. Outside of the big names, so uh, you've got Brady, you got uh, Rodgers uh, being number one fantasy QB, and you got Russell Westbrook. A lot of these QBs are still going to fall not too far away from the middle uh, 12 to 15 other QBs that are starting in the league. Yes, once you get to the bottom of the league, yes, you're definitely going to start feeling the pain a bit. But more often than not, you've got guys like Philip Rivers that will go deep into drafts not being selected, and he will still finish up in the top 10 or 12. Guess what? The production's good enough. If you use that pick instead to draft a better running back and wide receiver that can give you some roster depth in those uh, lean weeks where you're going to need some point production. So, I guess, uh, you know, the emphasis on passing in the league is a benefit to you because you don't have to reach for QBs. Uh, Again, I can't stress this enough. I see it way too often that guys try to go on a QB run and reach when it, it 
it's not necessary. Number nine, check multiple sources, not just the website you're drafting from. Smart owners are going to recognize that the average draft position uh, for a lot of these uh, different uh, fantasy football leagues are just uh, very widely across the board. So don't be afraid to reach on a player a round or two ahead of his average draft position if you actually believe he's going to be a top-tier guy because chances are someone else in a different uh, website ranked them where you want him to be ranked at. So just because the average draft position uh, in your particular draft is lower than where you have him ranked at, you can reach on him. Likewise, if you're seeing guys at the average draft position being recommended to you and you don't like any of them and you've been researching it, then pass on them. Don't let the average draft position uh, hold, uh, make you beholden to that selection because chances are uh, that's uh, there's a reason why the average draft position is because they're considered safe picks. But if you uh, cluster way too many safe picks together, which is the uh, bane of auto drafting is that you got way too much uh, salary floor and not enough upside. You know, yeah, it'll, the auto draft team will have a high draft grade ranking because guess what? These guys don't want to make themselves look bad. But at the same time, those auto draft teams usually have a difficult time with managing the schedule because of the fact that they don't separate themselves from the rest of the pack. So, again, average draft position is not something you should be beholden to. If you do quality research with multiple resources, you should be able to come up with your own valuation for players uh, that uh, can make it worthwhile for you. And finally, uh, number 10, the biggest mistake I see being made is the draft run. So whether it's QB, whether it's defense, uh, you got a lot of situations where guys are reaching because they see what the uh, the other guys are doing and they don't they feel like they're going to get left behind. Don't need you don't need to reach for certain guys uh, in the second round because I I see all all this all the time. Uh, and people are starting to get better at it, but I still see it in certain drafts just because of the amount of leagues I play in. Uh, you got guys that are afraid of being left behind, making runs on players that they don't need to make runs on. Happens in fantasy football, happens in fantasy baseball. You got to go with what your roster needs are at that point. Just re reaching for a player because you see a couple other guys doing it, and you're afraid that, oh, well, this position is not going to have depth anymore. You know what? That's just not a sound strategy. You can always uh, uh, manage around it as the season goes along. Uh, for your draft, you should be concentrating on the best available players that can make impact for your team at that uh, particular time. So those are my recommendations ahead of your fantasy uh, draft uh, to keep in mind. I would say that, again, research is the most critical thing you could do. But first off, know your league's rules ahead of the draft. Please, if you take a look at that, I'm telling you, it's going to do you a world of good ahead of your draft just so you can start formulating your strategy. All right, folks, so that's uh, going to do uh, it for the show today. Uh, I'm going to keep uh, moving forward with the NFL stuff. I got to talk about college football and the Ohio State situation just because, uh, you know, this, even though it's not fantasy related, 
you know, this, I, I've, there were way too many incidents of this going on. So, uh, that's going to be coming up in a future episode. So, uh, stay tuned for that. And, uh, I'll also be doing, uh, my preview for the fantasy premier league. So, uh, keep your eyes open for that as well. So that's all for now. Have a good one. It's the most talked about position in all of sports, the quarterback. And now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought after role on the field, Celebrity QB, featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach, Charlie Weiss. Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks. Like, is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Will dating Danica Patrick distract Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he's dating Danica Patrick, Charlie. We're interested in that, you know? Well, I mean, Tommy's got Giselle. I'll I'll take Giselle, okay? (laughs) Is Dak Prescott good enough to win a Super Bowl for the Cowboys? Which rookie quarterback has the best shot of making a positive impact in 2018? How about intellectually, Charlie, as far as what they ask the quarterbacks to do now? The game has changed, but the pressure that's put on quarterbacks and it always been put on quarterbacks is tremendous. Join Charlie Weiss and co-host Steve Strout on an all-new podcast from Lasting Media, exclusively about quarterbacks. Subscribe now at Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position.